Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Giant Pod with me, Andy Rintmore. This week, I've got my good friend Chris Bailey in the studio with us chatting about photography. He's a photographer. He's a pro. He's one of the best I know. See how that rhymed? We talk about his introduction to photography with live music photography. We talk about mentors. We talk about early camera acquisitions. We talk about loads of things. We talk about the streets. We talk about dreams coming true. Full circle moments. Brian May of Queen. We talk about a whole bunch of things. Uh, I love kicking back with Chris. Check this one out. Here it is. I think the setup was really nice. You got some good decor here. I got um, greeted by a packet of small skittles, the smallest packet of skittles I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm happy with that. I was genuinely, uh, I was sort of, sort of mortified when I opened the bag because I was expecting them to be not a big packet, not a share bag, but the more regular packet. And look at that. Well, everything is small to you because you're about six foot eight or something, aren't you? Six foot nine. But six yes. nine sorry. Um, yes, everything is small. So, Chris, how did you get into photography? What was the what was the the moment you were like, this is what I want to do? Because I, I used to come and see your old band here on out. And I think, oh, they're pretty good. Thank you. Pretty loud. Well, yeah, it was it was kind of to, to do with the band, really, how I got into photography. I had always liked going around taking photographs on my phone. I think back then I used to have a, a Sony Ericsson. And I used to go on days out to Weymouth Sea Life Centre and take pictures of stingrays through the glass and terrible pictures. Right. But at the time, I was um, pleased with them. And I used to go to London and take shots of London and all the touristy places. And there was just something in it for me, which I liked, but I didn't quite understand what it was that I liked about it. Right. Then going back to the band stuff, where, I don't know, almost 10 years ago now, time yeah. flies, uh, we hired a photographer to come and take some photographs of us when we did our EP launch. And it's a frame photographer. His name's Phil Hill. Very good photographer. He does lots of documentary stuff. And he's inspired me in many ways. But uh, he used a method where he captured movement in a photograph. And I'd never, ever seen that before. So he fires a flash and the flash hits you. And it kind of looks like a double exposure when you see the picture. Right. Have you ever seen anything like that before? I see, I've seen a lot of live music photography where... You, they get that lightning in a bottle shot where you just, yeah. you, it's saying a thousand things. It's a cliche, isn't it? I know, but you think, God, this, there is, there's a drama to it and a movement. And mm -hmm. uh, um, it's the word prestige. You know, like uh, you can almost see it. You can see the, you can see it's the kind movement. Of, it's kind of hard to describe. It's almost like seeing a ghost of someone else in the picture. Right. And that's what happens when you use flash and capture movement. It just gives the shot loads of energy oh, and movement. so they've got like a trail. Yeah kind, right. of like, yeah, kind of like a light trail. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's sort of inferring. So it's a bit like a, like, a, like a graphic novel panel or something. Yeah, it's just kind of, it's very narrative. And I've never ever seen that before. And as soon as he gave, gave us back the pictures, I was just kind of blown away. And I didn't even know you could achieve those results. I didn't even know how he did it. Right. But I didn't even know that was possible because um, I always thought photography was a, a nice shot of Weymouth clock with the, you know with all the primary colours or a nice shot of a field like your Windows 98 desktop background. I didn't realise photography can kind of be that way or presented that way. So as soon as I saw those pictures, I thought, hang on a minute, 
I need to try and do this myself. Right. I think it was going to be easy. So you got you ended up with more than you bargained for. Absolutely. Yeah. So what were you, what would you have been happy with? What were you looking for? As is, because you didn't have the eye at that moment, I guess. Well, I had pretty low expectations, but right. Phil was a great photographer. You know, he's an even better photographer now. But um, yeah, I had low expectations. Just I guess your average band shots, maybe where I don't know, full Just on flash that you gig. Basically, yeah, I would have been it? happy with that. Yeah, it's yeah. true. But yeah, I was blown away by the results. And how does he do that? Now that you're a little bit more sort of enlightened, a little bit more enlightened. Now you're a professional photographer. How is that achieved? Is that on some sort of relate time or like a relationship between the camera and a and a? So what what happens is, is the light a... the light pulses really quickly right. and bounces off of say if I was taking a photograph of you, it bounces off of you and goes into my sensor. But you have a long shutter speed, so the light hits you and goes into my sensor. But the shutter is technically still open, so it gathers loads of more information around you before I get the finished exposure. So when you look at it, you've got, yeah. you've got the flash, which is the hardest, most prominent light source in the sensor and all the lovely ambient stuff around you, which would be you moving. All right. So th there's no right or wrong on how to do it, depending right. on how fast the thing's moving and stuff. You know, you can sort of experiment with it and get the most amazing results, similar to light trails where you see photographs of cars and you can yes. just see the headlights and the taillights in or like roller coasters and fairgrounds where the, like London Eye you've probably seen where the wheel is turning around, it's all blue neon and it's a long exposure, just it's like a perfect round blue circle. All those Instagram pictures where the people get the, the, the sprinkler, uh, they're not the sprinklers, the sparklers on. Oh yeah, uh, like write your name with a sparkler on bonfire night. Yeah, yeah, similar sort of thing to that. Very cute. Do you roll your eyes when you see that sort of stuff now? You're like, no, I don't mind. I still do it to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Only opportunity. I'm, I'm, still a, I'm still a big kid really. I still kind of play about with basic ideas. Sometimes the basic ideas are the best ideas. Yeah, I guess you could, I guess you, there, there are some photographers that probably feel like they, there's nothing left to learn. Well, you can't teach them anything. Maybe I find that hard to believe because you, you never you never stop learning. Right. It's like being a painter or a musician. You yeah. can, if as a musician, you can't say that's it. I've written the best song ever. I'm hanging my guitar up. Yeah, because that's never 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 happens. It's never true. There's always something to strive for, things to change, things to mix up, and just being inspired by different people leads you down different avenues to sort of explore your own ideas. So when you get inspired by someone's photography, so you, you see their work mm -hmm. and you go, oh my God, yep. that is incredible. Mm -hmm. What is, what's the length of, because I know the lengths of obsession I go to about things. What are the lengths of obsession that you, you go to? What, what does, when you're into a photographer, I guess these happen in phases and you're yeah. always like bands, I guess mm -hmm. you just discover new things and in a certain point of the year, you're really into this thing and then the next you move on to that or yeah. that opens the door to something else what does that what does that look like for a photographer well I, I kind of class myself as quite a technical photographer right which I don't think is necessarily the best way because a part a huge part of me wants to be a creative photographer and that's when you catch me lying on the floor photographing reflections of things in puddles so when I get inspired by a photographer I kind of try and break things down technically to how they've achieved the result so I look at the light in first of all, work out where the light's coming from, how big the light source is, the quality of light, whether it's hard light or soft light, then have they used more than one light? If they have, where are they? What are they? It's a bit of a minefield, really. Right. And photographers have different styles. So I could try and imitate this person, for instance, that I'm trying to look at and shoot my own version of it. And it will look completely different to how they've shot it just because that's what styles are about. Have you ever gone so far as to sort of email a photographer and be like, hi, you don't know me, but I absolutely need to know how you did that? All the time. I used to do it all the time. Every right. week I'd email a photographer. 
a lot of the time I wouldn't get a reply. Sometimes I would get a reply. I was lucky enough to work with this uh, photographer in London called John Clark. And long, to cut a long story short, so my profession now is shooting headshots and portraits. And there was this girl from Froome who was just going to theatre school, contacted me about eight years ago and said, Chris, will you shoot me some headshots? I said, yeah, of course I will. You know, how difficult can it be? So I thought, hang on a minute, so go on Google, type in da da da. Anyway, this guy came up, John Clark Photography, Headshots London, and he was the biggest, and still is the biggest headshot photographer in London. Anyway, and I looked at his work and I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Seeing and finding John Clark's work was like finding God. It was, <laughs> it was so, so weird. Right. And yeah, he's just one of these photographers that have inspired me. And are you and John friends now? We are friends. Well, yeah, going back to what you were saying, I emailed him. Yeah. I didn't know anything about him other than his work was completely amazing. I didn't even know you could achieve those sorts of things with the camera. And he was really, really kind and um, generous with his time. And I've worked with him several times now. I've done big um, shoots with him at Sylvia Young Theatre School, which is one of the biggest theatre schools in the country. And I phone him at Christmas and we talk on Facebook all the time. And yeah, it's really nice. And so I, he's sort of like a mentor to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, he is. And he's in his 60s now. He's almost retiring. So he's been in the industry for about 40 years, I think. Right. But um, yeah, I did answer your question. I did email and still do occasionally email photographers from time to time. But a lot of these photographers want to keep their secrets close to their chest. So a lot of the time I don't get a reply, but sometimes I do. How are you with your secrets? Do you keep them close to your chest? Or do you try and remind yourself that, you know... Once upon a time, you were that that guy that just needed someone to bring them in a bit. Absolutely, no. If anybody ever emails me or or contacts me for any work experience, I always try and help them out because, like you say, I know exactly what it's like. And I do a lot of writing and demos for magazines where I kind of talk people through my setup. And it's quite nice, like creatively sort of um, trying to explain your workflow to someone else who's kind of a bit stuck with with what to do but I'm a, I know it sounds really cheesy but I am a great believer in sharing what you know otherwise yeah. you won't progress yourself uh-huh. and like I mentioned to you previously you know I could show you everything that I know yet your photographs or your work or your song or your painting will not look exactly the same because I like to think I've got my own individual fingerprint to my work and you do and I, I was toying with how I would word this if I if I brought this up because I, I don't want to sound super pretentious or like super ass kissy, but I know a Bailey when I see a Bailey. Do you Thank know you. what I mean? Do you, do you mean David Bailey? No, no. Well, mean? yeah, no. Uh, David, I'm not that cultured. Um, no, uh, you, do I know, know, you do know who David Bailey is. I know is, of though. David Bailey. Oh, you check out his work. His work's amazing. I tell everybody he's my dad. <laughs> gets gets me to all the clubs. <laughs> That's how you've made your career. I do get it all the time. Though. It does help having a surname Bailey because yeah. if I meet somebody who wants some work and I give them my business card, oh, any relation to David? If you like. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. So when I see a Chris Bailey, there have been times when I've been like on Instagram or Facebook and I've seen a picture and I've never seen it before. And I think, and I don't, and it's just before... I could, you know, I scroll back down to see the name and I've already, I'm like, I think that's a Bailey, Chris Bailey. Just see the tip of the head and, and, you go, boom, yeah, and there it is, Chris Bailey. Yeah. So how, what is that? Can you explain it? Do you know what it is? Have you? I think my, my style is a failure of trying to copy other people <laughs> to tell the truth. <laughs> it is. I'm, I'm not going to lie and say it's something that I invented because I didn't. And I guess, you know, they say imitation is the highest form of flattery, but I think that's all photography is. I think that's all music is. I think a lot of the time that's what art is. You Emulation. Know, 
yeah, just being inspired by other people and kind of trying to put your own take on it and evolve things and trying to mold it to make it yours, if that makes sense. So is John Clark your favourite photographer? I don't know. That's a difficult question. I was afraid so you were going to ask me that. isn't it? Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll reframe it because if someone said to me, what's your favourite band? Now at 28, I feel a bit like, well, it's a bit, it's mm. almost a little bit um, juvenile, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think I have a favourite photographer. I'm very heavily influenced by some of the classic photographers like Henry Cartier-Bresson and Bill Brandt and David Bailey, you know, all the 35mm black and white photographers. But yeah. I, I don't know, I get inspired all the time. You know, if you go onto Instagram and go onto the search page, you just see hundreds and hundreds of great photographers now and photography is so accessible. So I don't necessarily think there is one specific photographer who inspired me overall, but right. in regards to headshots. So, like an amalgamation of... Yeah, but in regards to headshots and portraits in kind of my career path, definitely John Clark. See, I, I mean, I had headshot done with you back in 2012, uh, maybe. Wow, that long ago. Funny you should say that because I saw that photo yesterday. I don't know why I saw it. No beard and short yeah, you hair. Like a completely different person. Yeah. Right. And I thought that was quite a stunning picture at the time. Thank you. But what you what you were doing even not that long after that was such a step up from that do you find that progress comes quick and fast um or did i just did i just like stop paying attention for a while and then all of a sudden i'm like oh my god i don't i don't know i'm i'm quite obsessive about everything that i do and i think that's a good and a bad thing and i am my own worst critic when it comes to stuff like that i don't really like any pictures that i take I might go through a stage of, I don't know, doing a shoot and being happy with a shot for an hour or I'll wake up the next day and go, oh, why did I do that? Or I should have done it this way. Or just being happy with it in general than seeing someone else's work and thinking, oh, I need to throw away my camera. But I guess me being a perfectionist tries me to try and do better and up my game. But at the same time, it's kind of got a negative impact on me. But I speak to lots of people who in the creative industry about it and saying, is it just me who feels this way? And a lot of the people say, yeah, I feel the same as well. Yeah. And I guess it's similar for you. If you write a song Absolutely. in your band for the first week, it's like the best thing ever. Then you right. play it a few gigs and you're like, oh, I'm bored of playing this now. I always, I'm always proud of our songs. And it's weird. Maybe that's maybe there's a strange arrogance there, but I I I, I don't think we got a crap song. But um, just putting it out there, yeah. Just I'm just I can't I can't I'm not going to lie about that. I I really like I like they're my babies. I like them. You know, um, they've all got some sort of redeeming feature to me. But on the production side of things, for sure, you listen yeah. back to like uh, it sounds great in the control room like oh my god yeah this is great this is so much bigger and better than mm -hmm. the last one yeah we've really got what we want here all the all the crap all the spinal tap shit comes out yeah oh yeah this is great and then you get your first mix back and you're like hang on wait what this isn't like i yeah i understand what you're saying but the other thing is with, with photography as well is it's such an instant medium yeah technically to capture a photograph all you do is push a button and you've got the shot so i guess because it's, I don't know, doesn't take up very much time. It's more disposable for me to kind of go, meh. It's not as if I spent a year writing this lovely song and I didn't yeah. like it, but I've kind of fallen out of love with it. It's yeah. a bit different. If you wrote a song in a second, you could be like, it didn't take me much time at all. I don't value it. I'm going to throw it away. True. We, yeah, so we take a long time doing songs and we can, we can spend six months 
polishing a two-minute song. Yeah. I think that's why I have the I'm of the opinion that you know once once they're written, I'm like, now nah, this is good. I really like this. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because we have we have really gone to town on it. But there's so many like I'm always recording bits. Like today early, I was jamming with Charlie, and we, I just chucked the phone down voice memos next to the kit. We just jam. We just mm-hmm. see what's going on. And I would say sixty to seventy percent of that stuff is like me sat there going after listening to it going oh my god like twinging it like all these fills that are like ambitious and then they mm-hmm. don't quite pull off and but then the rest then there's a bits in there you're like no that's it that's the bit that we want to capture and then you sort of you pull that out distill it and everything so there's definitely there's so much crap that i'm, I'm ha- unhappy with i think by it's the time we get to releasing it i've ironed it yeah i think it's definitely a creative process but i think everyone's the same mm-hmm. nick wilton's the same with um ghost of the avalanche yeah he will just i, I know because he'll tell me yeah nick he, is a perfectionist he absolutely I've known nick for a long time to, but that's why he's so good at what he does yeah yeah this is why he gets the quality but he is sometimes he'll say something to me like oh listen to listen to this and i'll listen to it and he'll go yeah i just think this is like a bit and i think i can't even hear it like what are you talking about yeah yeah that's a death like me <laughs> yeah so you see these pictures. We're going to rewind, rewind. So you see these pictures, uh, and of uh, what was the uh, the guy's name? Phil. Uh, Phil Hill. Phil Hill. And what's the next step after that? What do you do then? I it's, saved up for a long time, right, for a camera. What was your first camera? It was a Canon 450D, and I think it cost me about seven hundred pounds. And I remember I cried when they walked out the shop with it because I'd no, I wasn't used to spending that much money at all, and I saved so hard for it because at the time I worked in retail. I think I was on, I don't know, £3.50 an hour. Right. So it took a long time to save up. And it was kind of, I was reluctant really to kind of, you know, just take my money quick and just pass me the camera. Do, do it before I could really think about it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I, tr- I, I looked after it like I was a little baby. I, it's like my pride and joy. It was my number one prized possession, this, right. this camera. And um, it's ancient now and the te- technology in it now is ancient. But right. little did I know, I don't know, a couple of years down the line, I'd be spending three grand on just the camera. Do you know what I mean? It's, without lenses. It, yeah, it soon yeah. became a really expensive hobby. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I did. I saved up and bought my first camera and um, just started taking as many pictures as I could of absolutely anything and everything. So when did it become... So as you said, it's an expensive hobby. So was there a moment when you were like, this has to start earning some money? Or did your art get to a level where actually that became a thing for you that you didn't necessarily was it a conscious decision were you like this is so expensive if i'm gonna buy these three grand cameras i need to, this needs to be like my main gig or did your work just get to the, the point when you're like people start coming to you like can you do this and we'll pay you x amount um bit of both maybe i think i remember when i saved up for the more expensive camera i was doing a one-year course at college right and I was kind of getting in the sort of circles of all the other creative people. And I remember I was on a night out in Bristol once, sat in this club with a good friend of mine called Rich, who's a videographer. And I was saying to him, Rich, I really want this camera. I've got the money in my bank now. Do you really think, do you think I should get it? Yeah. And he was kind of like opposite me going, oh yeah, I think I just think you should bite the bullet and get it, mate. You know, it'd be good for you. I was like, oh, I don't know if I really need it or not. And he said, oh, I'll definitely get it. I was like, all right, okay, I'm going to get it. Because sometimes you need that little push. So yeah. I went up the next day and bought it. So you just let him talk you into it. Yeah. I um, think you knew he would talk you into it. 
Well, Rich, you've asked the one guy that knows about cameras, loves cameras. Rich is very wise. And he gives good advice. Right. So I just kind of spoke to him and he said, go and get it. And the interesting thing about it was, it's quite a controversial subject amongst photographers, but it's the whole thing of, does a better camera or a more expensive camera make you a better photographer? <laughs> and, All the gear, no idea. Yeah, and it's kind of like a similar sort of situation to say, if I go and buy the most expensive microphone from the music shop, they make me a better singer. And of course, it won't. And lots of photographers get a bit, I don't know, a bit narky about it if you kind of say, I'm a starter photographer, but I'm going to go and buy this camera. And for some reason, photographers don't like it. But I remember when I saved up and bought this expensive camera, I went to a traveling theme park over in Bristol called Thunderworld. <laughs> it was as, as funny as it sounds. Right. It's like a huge traveling theme park. It had loads of amazing rides. And I must, it's the first place I took my new camera. And I think it must have been this time of year, late summer, where you had really long, sort of dimly lit nights and everything was lit up beautifully from the fair. Anyway, I remember taking these pictures. I've never been so proud of these pictures in my life. And I believe this new camera inspired me to kind of think a bit differently. I get maybe it's all kind of like subconscious in you know the, the placebo effect of yeah. I've got an expensive camera is going to make me take better pictures. That's perfectly valid if the end result is... Yeah, I've never been so happy. I don't think... I look back on the pictures now and I don't like them and I think there's lots of things wrong with them. Mm. But I think at that time, I was really, really happy with those shots. I ended up using them for my final pieces at college. What grades did you get? Can you remember? I got distinction. Yeah, well, they couldn't yeah. have been that bad. But I guess I was when I went to college, I was, I was technically classed as an adult learner, so right. I must have been 24, maybe. How did that feel, going to college? It's, that's not late. It's not really that late in life, but yeah. it's, a, it's a little later, isn't it? Um, it was a bit, bit different to adjust because I was, the majority of the people in my class were 18, who right. just left, you know, uh, left colleges. But I guess I had, I had the advantage because I'd done previous jobs leading up to that point, and I knew... I wanted to try and become a photographer. So I was there to learn. So I worked really hard at what I wanted to do and kind of let everyone else get on with, you know, what they wanted to do. Right. So you had the discipline, you had a little bit more. Yeah, I loved it. I I think I utilized every second of that course, either using the studio or running out onto the campus saying, stop, you, we've got a good face, follow me. I want to take a picture, you know, (laughs) and all that sort of thing. How do you approach that? Oi. Oi, come here. I like your face. Throw, Throw a cookie on their back or something. No, I just, um, I normally sort of plan it in advance and just right. kind of spot someone. And the good thing about it was the fashion department was really close to the photography department. Right. So a part of their uh, scheme of work for the final piece was to have their garments photographed. Right. So they were working behind the scenes at these uh, these dresses and these trousers and whatever you call it. And they had models in mind. So it was just a case of me walking through the door saying, you know, who wants to shoot with me? So yeah, it all went like that. It's great, isn't it? Uh, is that Bath College? Uh, Trowbridge. Trowbridge. Yeah. But the course doesn't run anymore, unfortunately. So I think the closest course is Bath. Right. Which is a really good department. I've got a friend, Kate Feast, who's doing photography at Bath College. Yes. Do you know I, Kate? Uh, yeah, I have met Kate, yeah. And uh, Dave? I know Dave, Dave yeah. yeah. She's doing really well. Really proud yeah, of her. Yeah, it's a really, really high standard of photography over there. I'm not sure who teaches it, but I do go, and, well, I try to go to the exhibitions every year. Right. And there's always a really high standard of work and it's all very individual as well, you know. Yeah. There's always someone who's really good at fashion, someone who's really good at doing abstracts, someone who's really good at doing live band photography, which presumably would be Kate. Kate's, that's her thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah, great place to go. Yeah, she's great. I'm such a fan of her work. And so so you get this camera, you've gone to the, 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 uh, you've gone to the fun fair, yep. you've taken these shots, you've got your distinction, you've done the college. What, what happens then? I guess I got Facebook to thank for a lot of my 
success because back before all the algorithms came in and Facebook only started to show oh, you yeah. what you want to well, see. But the people that liked your page could actually see your page. Yeah, so it was a case of throwing up a picture of, I don't know, a fun fair and yeah. you liking it. Then one of your friends to see you liked it and it kind of all started from there. Then oh, the, the first thing that kind of attracts people to you when you try and establish yourself as a photographer is, do you photograph weddings? <laughs> so I kind of got thrown in at the deep end and started shooting lots and lots and lots of weddings, sometimes by myself yeah, and sometimes with someone else. And at weddings, you get to meet lots of people and get to hand out a few business cards. Yeah. And I guess it's kind of like the snowball effect. How much can you expect to earn from a wedding? I, I, you don't do weddings anymore, do you? No, I, used to, I used to do weddings, but I think the sort of average day rate for a wedding is about £1,400. Nice. It's good, but it is, it is a lot of work. Yes. I, got, well, I know you, you photographed my sister's wedding. I did, wedding. Yeah, your sister's wedding was beautiful, yeah. And uh, those those pictures are great. Thank you. Still, to this day, like the, some of the best wedding photos I've seen. Yeah, it was a really nice day. It's a beautiful venue. The thing is with wedding photography, though, obviously you've got lots of expensive gear you need to insure. You need to have public liability insurance, and you've got your time there. Then you've, you've got drunk idiots everywhere, kids running around. Dodging some really tall guy called Andy all the time. <laughs> I think I pinched your ass tonight. You probably did. You turn around like, all right, mate. <laughs> but but my point is, it all adds up. Yeah. You know, you've got the meetings beforehand and stuff. It does sound like an awful lot of money, which it is. Yeah. But when you kind of like even out over the hours spent on it, it kind of works out. It kind of, you know, your average sort of wage. So why not no weddings? Is it because you got sick of them or um, that, or now you, you earn far too much for a wedding? What is it? What is it? <laughs> I don't know. It's definitely not, not the second one. I don't know. I guess um, weddings, you've got to be... Um, I, I would prefer to shoot weddings with two people. Right. But I always kind of dive in and do them myself. It's a lot of people management. It is. It's a yeah. lot of pressure. And um, I don't just like them. I, I do like weddings, but it's just so much pressure up until the point where the the ceremony is over. Once you've got that wedding shot of the married couple walking down the aisle yeah. and all the you know fizzy drinks come out and everyone can kind of go, ah, <sighs> that's when it starts to become fun. But yeah. because I care so much about what I do, I need to make sure that I do the best for myself and the best for the client. Yeah. And it's not as if I'm turning weddings and stuff away. I'm just not really known for photographing weddings. Right. I did have two but this year, but because of COVID, it's been postponed right. until next year now. And I guess with weddings is you can get caught kind of stuck in a rut with it artistically. Yes. Yeah. So, the, you know, when you get to a point where you kind of like outgrown a wedding, I guess they're all the same to yeah. many degrees. Some photographers kind of take things, approach the weddings differently. Some people take their time, they're really confident and they can kind of go, hang on a minute, that'll be a creative shot and I'll wait for it. Mm. But all photographers work differently and they've all got different styles. So my style of wedding photography was like reportage Candice stuff where I blend in as a guest and just document the day as it happens because there's nothing worse than kind of lining people up who don't want to have their picture taken yeah. looking awkward doing these cheesy smiles which you know they hate doing and yeah. you know they're going to hate looking back at the photos it just doesn't work you know yeah. people don't want that sort of stuff anymore you know it's 2020 so things have moved on there might be some people who want it which is fine but that's not how I tackle a wedding right. and I think the client is a lot more happier with the results the, you know the way that I propose to do it I love that yeah, it's good fun. I blend in as if I'm a guest. Like a like a like a, a light ninja. A ninja with a camera. But it's fun though. It's fun for me because I can just kind of wander around and just, you know, get Mingle. as creative as I possibly can and yeah. just try not to get too stressed out. Like I've got someone sort of breathing down my neck all the time. I can yeah. just take things as I see them and, and that's when I work best. What's your biggest wedding horror story? 
but that I've personally experienced. Yeah, yeah. So you, you've gone, oh my God, I'm going to put the camera down. Um, nothing, nothing too bad. Um, oh, come on. I was working with a guy filming a wedding and just before we went, he said, oh, do you want to stop off and get a coffee? I said, well, it'd be kind of a bit fine if we do. And he said, all right, well, I'll go quickly go and get one anyway. He managed to throw it all down his shirt like five minutes before the bride bride was going to walk down the aisle. So we had to sort of run into Sainsbury's and get in this like SpongeBob styled fitting shirt for him to wear for the rest of the day, which is quite amusing. And another one, actually, my top button broke on my trousers just as the bride was getting out of the car. And these trousers were a little bit too big for me. So I was trying to sort of hold my trousers up whilst yeah. following the bride and her dad to the venue. It was awful. I had to sort of stick my head in the kitchen and ask for a safety pin to put my trousers up just in time to get the shots. It's right. like, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it kind of was quite traumatic for me, you know. Right. Yeah. That, you know, that the bride walking down the aisle with with the dad is like the shot that you need to get. Yeah. And yeah, it was tough. But I think I, man- I managed to wing it. You didn't pop out. No, luckily. <laughs> I would have not frightened all the guests away. So what's the craziest wedding? When were you like, oh, I'm never going to forget this. This is wild expensive. Um, I, I assisted at a big wedding at Orchard Lee House with a photographer called Ed Robinson, who's a really big, successful commercial photographer up in London. And I'm not sure who the guests were because I was just invited to assist and help out. But I think there was something to do with rock and roll royalty. So it was a really, really gothic wedding. So it was all black dresses and lace and everything you can imagine, sunglasses. And yeah. it was just a really, really wicked vibe. If I ever get married, I sort of want to go there. It was cool. It, I've never experienced a wedding like it, but it was a really, really good time. Right. Talking of rock and roll royalty, you and Brian May, tell me about that. <laughs> Brian May. What, um, Good old well, what, what would you like to know? Well, you've you've fought, uh, you've taken pictures. You've, oh, you've was, done yeah, photography yeah. with the legendary Brian May. My hands turned to complete jelly. I didn't sleep the night before. Yeah. And when it came to taking the picture, I just couldn't remember how to use my camera. <laughs> it was so weird. I think that was one of the largest personalities that I've ever been around. And this was, I don't know how many years ago it was now, five, six years ago. Yeah. And I did. I completely lost my nerve with it, I kind of fell apart. I was like a giggling schoolgirl, you know, looking at that crash. Did he know? I, I think I, I think I hit it well, but <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was bad, but I managed to get the shot. Luckily the story behind um, me doing some shots of Brian May was, there's a good friend of mine called Leander Morales, who I'm sure you know. Yes. He did a charity thing where he was donated an acoustic guitar where he went round and got it signed by several celebrities and musicians to have it um, auctioned off and the donations to go to the premature baby wing at Bath RUH because it was um, a charity close to Leander's heart. Well, Brian May was the last piece of the puzzle right. to sign the prime era of the guitar. And uh, that day over in Bristol, he just released a new book and he was doing like a talk and signing a few copies for people. And uh, we met up with him and his agent after. And bless him, he looked tired. You know, he had a hard day, you yeah. know, chatting and, you know, signing books for everybody. So yeah, the, the shot was some press shots of him with Leander and some shots of him signing the guitar. It was, yeah, it was a really, really amazing experience. I bought one of his books and got it signed by him. What was his book? Is it an autobiography? No, it was, because um, Brian May is very into photography. Oh, so is he? I, I, so I don't remember the technique that he uses, but he right. kind of like brings old photographs to life through some technology, almost like through, th- yeah, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Right. through um, Stereoscopic, you said? Yes. Right through like a th- like 3D glasses. But to tell you the truth, I've not even looked at the book because it's too precious for me. It's got Brian May's signature and it. it's addressed to me. It's in a beautiful hardback case and it's in my in my safe with all the lasers on so no one can get to it. 
but yeah, he is very into his photography. Okay. Are you a, um, are you a sentimental man? I'd like to think so. I think you might be. I am. Tell me, tell me about one of your recent projects and sentimentality. You've, you just had the gig of your life, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's such, such a weird story. So going back to, um, how I became a photographer, I remember back in 2000, 2001, when the band, the streets released the original pirate material. And I was at a college somewhere doing something. And the guy who used to give me a lift, he used to play it all the time. And it was just like such, so, so different. So original. I'd never heard anything like that before. Bear in mind, I listened to like a lot of like rock and roll music and punk music. And there's Mike Skinner kind of talking about his teenage years in London and with some really interesting riffs and rhythms and beats and compositions and stuff. And I just fell in love with the album straight away. I thought it was very funny, very comedic. Some of the subjects he talks about and the stuff that he raps about. And all of a sudden it sort of became one of my favorite albums of all time. Maybe from like a nostalgic point of view, where it reminds me of when I was, you know, 17, however old I was and the stuff I used to get up to. But I became a really big fan of the streets. And back then when you had CDs, I used to lay on my bed and look at the CD and lay because I think the lyrics for the songs were in there. And I was always interested to read lyrics just in case I was singing the words wrong and all the rest of it. But inside this uh, leaflet were some really iconic shots of Mike Skinner taken by a photographer called Ewan Spencer. And I think everyone knows the front cover of that album. So it's, uh, it's called Towering Inferno by a photographer called Rootless Luxembourg. I and did not know this. It's a set of flats in London and the, the block is called Kestrel House. I've been doing my research because I want to go there and recreate it. But anyway, this is... Just a, glance over that one, yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, talk, I'll talk to you about that a bit later yeah, on. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, the album cover is a block of flats. It's shot at night and all the windows are lit up and everyone's kind of got their own life inside each one of these windows because they're all different. I don't know how many hundreds of windows. It's like one of the biggest tower blocks in London. Anyway, so looking through all these pictures in this book and these really cool shots of Mike Skinner, kind of like candid shots of him sat in cafes, always looking away from camera, kind of really inspired me and thought, hang on a minute, this, this photography has got quite a narrative to it. And going back to what I thought photography was before, like postcards and trains with lots of steam coming from them and stuff like that, I thought, hang on a minute, this is a different side of photography that I've never seen before. And I started researching Ewan Spencer more and he's a Brighton-based photographer who's like hugely successful now. He was hugely successful back then, but he's even bigger now. He specializes in nightclub photography. So his work, you know, if you go into a nightclub now and start taking pictures of people, they freak out. Hang on a minute. Who are you? What are these pictures going? Can I have a look at that before you put it anywhere? These people just feel really uncomfortable with it. But Ewan Spencer, presumably, used to go to this club every week. Everyone used to know who he was and they used to forget about him. He was like a ghost. And he used to capture the most amazing moments of people in these clubs, like couples in the corner snogging. And he used to light them with a really hard flash as well so obviously these people must have known these photographs were being taken but to look at them you wouldn't think that Ewan was even in the room right the most amazing photographs ever and his work really inspired me and helped me see photography in a different way as did Rootless Luxembourg the photographer who shot the towering inferno shot of the front of the streets album cover and that kind of led me down to sort of looking at things in a more fine art way I was just going to tell you that I've got I've got that album yep but it's actually a really, as a poor pirate copy of the, the album Pirate Material. I'm sure Mike Skinner will probably like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I pirate. bought it in a charity shop thinking it was a legit, the legit. Original you know, pirate pirate material. Yeah. 
<laughs> so when are you going to go and recreate this um this 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 shot and how uh, are you going to go on in the same month try and find the same week get I've, the same... I've done my research yeah so opposite... will you go down to that finer detail with it well I don't think I'll be going anytime soon with a virus and everything like that because the shot was taken from I think it was like the 40th floor of a council uh, council flat but uh, yeah I've done my research I know where it is I know what lens to use <laughs> I, I, I've got everything planned down to the, the final detail but it's just knowing when to go but yeah I will have to go at the right time of the year so I, obviously going in the summer you can't go because it'll be too dark by the time people turn their lights on right so it's going to have to be kind of like winter time or yeah. probably just before winter where everyone's back from work and the light in the sky is, is the right um, power to match the lights in the windows and everything like that so you really have done your research I have done my research and it'll be a really break. it'll be a real breakthrough moment I know it's perjury, you know, completely ripping off someone else's picture. Yeah. But it's kind of like, you know, the Oasis picture of, does it definitely, not definitely maybe, that's where they're all lying on the floor. Um, uh, yeah, it, that's What's the story maybe. in Morning Glory? Yeah, when he's walking through... Uh, yeah, through the streets and it's yeah. like a long shot and it's blurry. You know, like so many people have recreated that shot who are a fan of Oasis. It just feels good. You know, it's yeah. really difficult to describe, but I would be really proud to it's go like a to pilgrimage, right? It is, yes. It's a good way to describe it. Yeah. But I'd be super proud to go there and take that shot. I would be really proud to do that. And are you just going to keep that for you? Yeah, I'll just are keep you going it for to put me. the streets logo on it? And are you going to help <laughs> Print it on t-shirts. You're going to send it to the. No, be just for me. I get it printed and put it in my studio just right. because I like the image so much and it means a lot to me and the music means a lot to me. So yeah, it'd just be for my own personal viewing. Right, that's amazing. You really love what you do. I do. I'm really lucky to, to do what I do. So can we talk about? Uh, I know we can't talk about. Oh, I mentioned it. <laughs> oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. We won't. We won't go there though. We can edit that out if we need to. Uh, what can, can we talk about? What you just worked on? Because yeah. I know you've told me all about it. Yeah, but now I can talk about it. Yeah, you tell me. You just tell me what you can tell me. We okay. won't talk about. It. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I think it happened about two weeks. No, about three weeks ago. It happened. Yeah. And being freelance, every day is different. You never know what's around the corner job cancellations, extra jobs, postponing jobs. I had an email quite late at night from uh, Universal and Island Records just saying, hi, are you around tomorrow to take some photographs? And I was like, that's weird. Island Records, Universal, who's this? So I emailed them back saying, you know, yeah, I can be around, you know, what's the job? And between the time I sent the reply and I got an email back, I was kind of sat in my office thinking, I think the streets have just signed to Island Records, but it's not going to be the streets because funnily enough, I had tickets to go and watch them on the Saturday. They did a special COVID drive-in gig where everything was going to be social distancing, but Boris changed the rules, so it was cancelled. So I was really gutted. And bear in mind, I've never seen them live before. So I was a bit upset about that. And there's all these things going through my mind, like it could be the streets, but what are the chances of it going to be in the streets? Island and Universal signed thousands of bands. I thought, no, nah, it's not going to be the streets. 10 minutes later, I have an email back from Universal saying, oh, it's the streets. Oh. <laughs> and honestly, you should have seen my face. I couldn't believe it. I was in absolute shock. First of all, I thought it was a joke. Because uh -huh. Mike Skinner... You someone, start checking the email addresses for like sort of strange... I was. Uh, I was. You know, Mike Skinner has been at the top of my shot list ever since I got my camera. It was because of him and his music, which kind of led me down the pathway to become a photographer. I just didn't know what to do. I was like, this cannot be happening. <laughs> This cannot be happening. I cannot be taking photographs of the streets tomorrow. I'm right. going to meet Mike Skinner tomorrow. But that's tomorrow. probably the best way to have done it. Because if they'd given you two weeks, I would have you would have got inside mm -hmm. your own head. 
Yeah, that is that is a good yeah. point. And so I know blessing, I probably really. I probably would have. Yeah. So I think I was I think I worked for about twenty seven hours uh, the day after. So we left really, really early in the morning, went to a place called Earth, which is in Hackney. It's kind of like in between Hackney and Stoke Newington, I think there. It's a great venue. And it was a special one off live stream for the streets. So I was the only photographer there and there was a big film crew who was filming it with their big broadcast cameras to kind of launch out to the internet. And I was hired to take behind the scenes shots of the sets put together. It was quite interesting format they had. So they, it was a massive, massive venue. They had stage A, which was your standard stage, which you can imagine your stage looks like. Because Mike Skinner is quite an interactive artist with what he does, and he's very creative with his ideas. I don't know if you've seen any of the music videos, but for instance, he'll sit on a chair and start singing a song with a drink in his hand, and the chair will turn around and he'll walk off into a street. It's like really clever how they've done it. So there were all different sets around this one venue. So there was a bar, there was a record shop, there was a cafe. In the start of the live stream, Mike Skinner was sat in a cafe looking out the window uh-huh. and there was text and stuff going across and the art team built that exact cafe inside of this venue for the camera to cut to Mike and for him to get and start singing his first song. So right. it, it was a lot of running around. Is shoot. that the homage to that shot that you mentioned in the, in the, in the album? You said you liked him sat in a cafe looking off. Yeah, I think it probably was. Right. He sat in a cafe for Dry Your Eyes. Yeah. You know, one of the iconic songs that they released. And yeah, it's to do with that. It's to do with street life. It's about going out meeting a girl on Friday night and sat in the cafe with your mates on the Saturday discussing what happened and oh, right. all the rest of it. So yeah, I was asked to shoot all the behind the scenes shots of all the production. And I was asked to shoot the rehearsal and actually the live stream. So it was like a dream come true. And it was so weird, but sort of, you know, taking a picture and just hearing Mike Skinner just over my shoulder. And because of the way he talks, hang on a minute, it sounds like a new song. You know, just like, <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was really, really surreal. But it was an amazing experience, an experience that I'll never ever forget. And an experience I never thought I'd ever get. And how was Mike? Was he good? He he was lovely. Was good to you? Super, super hardworking. And I got to see a really fun side to him as well. Right. But yeah, he was he was really nice, really gracious. He thanked me for taking the pictures. At the end, I did a shot of the band up on the stage and him holding the champagne. That's that, that's like his thing, isn't it? Yeah, that his thing like his uh, like a it's like a trademark. Yeah, like, uh, like the money shot with the champagne. So at the end of every streets gig, he shakes a bottle of champagne to I think it's fit. But you know, you know that riff. Oh my god, you're fit, and don't you know it? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, something like that. And he normally kind of gets in a circle pit or gets crowd surf while shaking the champagne. But for this live stream, he had three bottles of huge bottles of champagne. Was it extra special champagne? I didn't look to tell you the truth. You didn't look at it? No. You were too busy trying to get the shot. <laughs> I was too busy to get the shot, yeah. So uh, so you've had the experience with Brian May and you go to Jelly. There you are with Mike Skinner. The the full circle moment of all full circle moments. How have you have you learned? Have you have you got nerves of steel at this point? I was or, or was I, it so surreal you just felt kind of normal? I was afraid that when I got there, I wasn't gonna be able to take the experience in. Yeah. Because you know, it was an experience for me, but you know, work is work and I was working hard. It was so, so hot in there as well because of COVID or wearing masks and no air con. So it was like sweltering hot in there, trying to stop my camera from steaming up and all the rest of it. So it was a bit of a panic on that side of things as well, like from a technical standpoint, but I've had a lot of experience between Brian May and Mike Skinner yeah. photographing, you know, X, Y, and Z. So I was just really excited. I wasn't nervous. I should have been nervous because I didn't know what I was walking into. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was really excited and 
I was wearing a mask so people couldn't see my ridiculous smile. <laughs> but it was the moment where Mike Skinner gets on stage and I have my camera. I was like, this is it. This is I'm it. Gonna t- it might be a crap picture, but I'm going to take my first picture of Mike Skinner. And I did it. And it, did yeah, you it take a moment? Yeah, it, I did take a moment. moment. Yeah, I had to kind of like stop and take, take it all in. But yeah, yeah it was incredible. It's difficult to describe. Yeah. But again, I can't believe it. I'm really, really lucky for that to happen. I kind of know, I, I sort of, I was like, because you have told me this once before and I was like so, I was so buzzed for you when you were telling me this because I kind of feel like I know where you've been. Not to that, not necessarily to that degree, but we did a tour with the Dead Kennedys mm-hmm. and they were always just such a big thing for me. And there was a moment where I just, I stood on the stage and I saw my drum set up in front of their Exactly, backdrop. you know that feeling. And it's got the DK's logo on it. Yep. And that was us for the next however many shows we did with them. Yeah, that was an amazing achievement for you, wasn't it? And and, and it's great. It's like a feeling. But then, but then you're like, you don't know what to do with that feeling. Yeah, what do you do with it once you've what got you it, once you're there? Yeah. And then what's next? It, it, you and I spoke, didn't you, after this happened. And we I spoke for about two you. hours in a the hospital car park. Neither yeah. of us had been to hospital, by the way. But Home flies <laughs> when we chat, because we yeah. don't see each other very much. But um, you, you said to me, didn't you? So, you know, what next? Yeah, what is how, 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 how do you feel now? Do you feel satisfied? And yeah. I don't feel satisfied. <laughs> I wish I did curse. feel satisfied. It it's is a, a curse. curse. As soon as it's done, you go, right, how do I top that? What's next? Yeah, who now? It's it's this mm-hmm. like, it's a void, isn't it? It's you like can't con- fill it. Constantly sort of walking upstairs. I don't want to go back down. I want to carry on going up, you know? But yeah. I am... I'm extremely proud of the street stuff. And I got two, I've got a couple of books made as well, which look really nice. And I've sent one to Mike and I'm keeping one Are you on first name basis of Mike now, are you? Um, no, I, I didn't really deal with Mike <laughs> because at the moment he's busy shooting himself a film that he's directing. Right. So he's not actually in the country at the moment. So I, I, I keep it professional, you know. I, yeah. I deal with his agent and his, you know, his PA and everything like that. But uh, I'd like to think he knows my first name. Yeah. Were they happy with your work? I guess they were. Really happy with my work, yeah. Well, they were on NME the next day, yeah, which was good, in other places, which I'm yet to, yet to see. Yeah, I was so, so excited for you when, when you were telling me that story. It was almost like I was like, I don't know, it's, I just love, I love it when, like, because I know how hard you've worked. And that you get, there's so many people in life that like sort of put a half-assed effort into something and get reasonably far. You think, oh, you didn't, you're not trying. Do you know what I mean? You're not like, yeah. or, or you don't love it. Yeah. And I don't want to be elitist about, about things, but you love what you do. Yeah, I have worked hard and it certainly hasn't happened overnight, overnight. that's for sure. No. And, you know, but there's been days and sometimes it's been weeks where I've had no work. When I first started out, it's just, it's really difficult, you know, trying to make trying to get your name in, out there in photography and establish yourself as a photographer. But I think the advantage I had, I kind of started doing it before Instagram was a thing. And, you know, everyone, I think Instagram is the largest platform for photography in the world now. And camera sales have dropped because of Instagram, because phone technology is getting so much better. And Instagram's an instant platform for you to upload your pictures and share them to the world. But I think I like, I like to think I got in there at the right time and worked as hard as I could. And Froome has helped me out a lot because there's so many amazing people in Froome who have kind of said, you know, come along and shoot this for me. And you meet people there and it's lots of full of lots of creative people. And yeah, yeah. Froome's a good place. Froome's amazing. Froome is so good. 
There's so many interesting people in Froome, though. But there's, I could do, I could do uh, probably the next 30, 40, 50, probably a few hundred episodes, just people from Froome yeah. who have been here, there, done this, that, and everything. You know, it could just, it would just become the Froome cast or something. But, but did I tell you, I was chatting to a lady the other day and, um, Completely different subject here. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of armatures in model design and special effects in films and all the rest of it. So right. whenever I go to London, I go, oh, let's go to Madame Two Swords just to look at just because it's cool, you know. Yeah. It's cheesy, but it's cool. Uncanny Valley. And I was chatting to a lady from Froome called Sarah. Sarah Swales. She's also a photographer. Right. Oh, I think you mentioned this. Yeah. And I don't know how long she's been in Froome. And she because I did some I did some photography for Madame Two Swords a while ago. She said, oh, yeah, my dad's the head sculptor there. I was like, no way. Oh, yeah, lives in Froome. I was like, you're joking. I was like, no, he does. And like, he's met the queen and had to measure up for the queen and do all this sort of stuff and loads and loads of famous people. I'm like, what a cool job. Yeah. Get him on your podcast. That'd be incredible to speak yes, to him. Yes, let's get him. Um, yeah, tell me, I think one of my favorite images of yours is the uh it's just part of your street photography well i don't i don't i don't want to call it street photography in case you don't call it street photography but it's this old gentleman that you've i guess you've collared him on the street and you said look you've got an amazing face can i take a picture of you he looks like some sort of uh uh, what's the fella from Lord of the Rings? Ah, uh, Gandalf. Gandalf, that Gandalf. Uh, yeah, uh, I know the show you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, that was cool. That was just circumstance. So that that guy was like a, a guy who travels around with a steam fare. Right. And I just, of course he does. I had a tiny little camera in my pocket <laughs> that day just because I didn't want to carry my big camera around. And I saw him sat around a campfire cooking himself something to eat. And I thought, this is opportunity is too good to pass up. And he was kind of like halfway around the steam fair. And when I first walked into the field, there's loads of colorful characters there. Some guys with like amazing mustaches and really cool cheekbones and amazing colored eyes. And I'd stop them and introduce myself and say, do you mind if I take your picture? Oh, no, 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 no. All right, okay, fair enough. Because some people aren't up from their picture taken. So I wasn't having much luck that day. Anyway, and I walked on, walked on a tiny bit further and I saw this guy sat around this campfire. I was like, oh my God, he looks amazing. He should be in a film. He looks like he's in a film. You know, what's he doing here? So I went and had a little chat with him. I wasn't kind of too forceful. I don't think he even saw my camera. And he's the nicest guy ever. Really, really nice. Told me a little bit about his life and his story. And I remember he had a really sort of high voice, which right. is quite funny because you expect him to have like quite a deep, powerful voice. Yeah, like, hello, you hello, shall hello, not yeah. pass. <laughs> he was like, all right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I said, do you mind if I take your picture? He said, yeah, of course you can, mate. Where do you want me? And he really got into it. And he said, he said what do you want me to do? Sort of thing. And I said, well, just um, on the sheet was like a character portrait. So just, you know, you're out in the wild and just do some cooking. And he do was sat there. Cooking. Yeah, let's cook. Let's cook. And he was sat there cooking his food and stuff. And it was very smoky in there. And I don't know how comfortable it was for him, but I guess he's used to it. And I kind of got a couple of meters back to frame the shot up. And I could see him talking to himself. He was saying, oh, I've been out hunting, didn't catch anything, all this sort of stuff. I'm like really getting into character, which was amazing. Wow. And I shot, I don't know, two or three pictures of him, and two of them just came out so, so well. And the funniest thing is, he said, oh, I'm surprised you want to take a picture of me. No one ever wants to take a picture. I was like, 
Right. You're in the wrong industry, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you, should, you need to be in film. You should have given him a casting agency a leaflet. Yeah, something. it was great. But that was, you know, due to circumstance. And yeah. I, I think I stuck the image online and a few other my friends said, oh yeah, I've I seen that guy online. last year. It's amazing. And I thought it was, I to begin with, I thought that you'd set that up with, um, uh, in your studio with actual lighting yeah. and, and that you'd really manipulated every aspect of it, but well, you just did it on the fly out. The, the beautiful thing about it was because he was sat in almost like a tent covering, the light was only hitting him from a certain angle, so it sort of painterly brushed across his face. And all the lines in yeah, his face. Yeah, because he's got these, like, his gnarly wrinkles in his face. It really kind of like brought a three-dimension in like a character to yeah. him. And it, it just worked, but it, it happens sometimes. Some it's amazing. Some people get these faces, you get clients with these faces and they just work. Yeah. What's your favorite kind of face to take a picture of? Do you like people who have really beautiful, like, I, I don't think you're going to say you do, but obviously we all like beautiful faces, but there's symmetry, isn't there? And yeah. and, and maybe that's that's uh, traditionally quite beautiful, but yeah. I think you probably like an interesting face. I like unusual faces. A nice bent nose like what I got. Your, your nose is fine, <laughs> mate. You're paranoid. You've got a lovely straight nose. <laughs> But yeah, I definitely choose uh, interesting face over a stereotypical, you know, Western beautiful face any day of the week because you can throw different light on interesting faces because they've got all different lumps and bumps and it kind of tells a story and gives someone more character. Whereas if you've got someone, you know, generically beautiful in front of your camera, you just hit them with the same light like they do in every magazine or every makeup ad and yeah, we're done. It's not interesting for me, you know. I like to light things in a cinematic way and introduce character to people who haven't got character until I say, I want you to look like this or you're down an alleyway and I've caught you doing something you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And, you know, throw that kind of like mysterious thuggy light on them. I call it the EastEnders shot. Right. When anybody comes to my sessions, if they've got a leather jacket, I'm like pop it on. It's time for your EastEnders thug <laughs> shot and kind of set them up in like a little alleyway and just say, you know, let's, let's do it. And We've done exactly that shot. Yeah, we have. We've done the leather jacket Yeah, shot. we have. Yeah, the leather jacket always works so well because you get beautiful highlights and shadows come off of it and it just it just works. Yeah, I had that on my Tinder for a bit. You did me some real favours for that one. You're welcome. <laughs> Tell me about um, your dog's Instagram. How many dogs have you got now? Two? Two, yeah. You've got Molly the da uh, the Dachshund. Yeah, the, Dash da the uh, Doxy, Dachshund. Yeah, all sorts of names for it, yes. Right. So yeah, she's got more followers than me, which is a bit of a shame. How do you do that? Is it just because the dogs are cute or, or is there, is um, it just dogs are just way better for Instagram? Well, this, this is really strange and going off topic a tiny bit. Yeah. Uh, when I got one of my first cameras, it snowed really heavily in the UK. It must've been seven years ago, like really heavily. It must've been like six, seven inches of snow. And it was the first time Molly has seen snow. She was a puppy at that stage. And she's the Dachshund. She's a Dachshund, yeah. She's da a little mini Dachshund. Am I saying it right? Dachshund or Dachshund? Well, it's a, it's a German breed, so I think it's a Dachshund. Right, okay. But some people call them Dachshounds. It doesn't matter. Okay. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Anyway, so I shot this video of Molly playing in the snow and I used like a long lens, I had like a really shy depth of field on it. So it kind of had like an arty side of it. Anyway, and I put the... I was, at that time... I am still really into Queen, but at that time I was listening to nothing but Queen and I put You're My Best Friend to it. So it's a cute little dog running around in the snow to Queen, You're My Best Friend. And I kind of put some pop art in iMovie or the cheesy stuff for it and just stuck it on YouTube thinking that'd be a nice memory to look back on in a few years. Anyway, there's this, I think San Francisco maybe a business called Cute Overload, who sadly don't exist anymore. Right. And it's a website dedicated to cute animals. And people all around the world would go to this website. Right. And they'd have a huge, huge, huge following. 
So much so, they shared that video of Molly in the snow now, and it's got over 100,000 views on YouTube. And I was getting these um, shows over in America messaging me, asking if they can use the clip for their TV shows and stuff like that. It, yeah, it was absolutely mad. But I think that's part of the reason why Molly's Instagram account has so many followers, because that, that medium was around at that time to promote her. How's your, uh, how's your Twitter life? You're quite, you're quite the dab hand on Twitter, aren't you? Uh, I don't know. I kind of neglect Twitter a tiny bit. I just use it just to use it, really. I, no one ever retweets me or follows me. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think Twitter's become very political now because you can write something quick, send it out for people to see, and you almost kind of write stuff to get a reaction. Yeah. I'm guilty. Sometimes I write stuff to get a reaction. I don't get it, but <laughs> do you know what I mean? I try. I get them. <laughs> I yeah, get you get the, all the reactions I, for me. God, it's you. You're, you're plugging up the, the free airways, Andy. <sighs> Yeah, so Twitter is a cesspool, I think, yeah, in a political I, sense. I kind of more down with Facebook, really, when it comes to social media. I think Instagram is my favourite one because it just seems to be the most positive. I think Instagram's the now time. the biggest one because it was all the young people were on Facebook, then the parents kind of like got sniff of it and go, hang on a minute, this is quite good. Then the parents got on it, so all the, all the children were like, oh, I'm not going to go, you know, I'm going to get off this and get onto Instagram. So I think, you know, overall, I think... Facebook is kind of like for an older audience, whereas Instagram I think so is, generally, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I find Instagram is an interesting one. It's a real interesting one. I love it. Uh, what's your pet, pet peeve with Instagram? What is it that you see that's and you go, oh god, I can't stand this. I don't know. Um, I've not got too much beef with Instagram to be honest. Well, what's yours? Um, I don't. It's it, it's when someone puts up a picture of of themselves and they look really good they look great no one's denying that you know you look fantastic and that outfit is you know revealing and everything looks great but it's like oh bad hair day today or so sort yeah, of yeah. it's like a remark which is like you know always on that bad day vibe or something like yeah, yeah. some sort of strange obscure remark that goes up and I think just own what you're doing just own it yeah, so I feel yeah great. it's also your confidence, isn't it's, it? It's but yeah, strange, I, know, I know what you're it? saying. But there's almost like a call to it as well, isn't there? It's yeah. like a, mm-hmm. it's a, yeah. But that sort of, I don't know, maybe that's just me being a bit weird, but sometimes I see that and I think, just be honest. I know what you mean, 100%. You're showing off. We all know what you're doing. So I guess I should ask you uh, next, if you think you've taken your, your greatest image, your magnum opus. I'd like to think that I haven't. But you never know. You never really, know with these, the these sorts of things. But because I'm kind of shooting more and more like commercial headshots and portraits and stuff, I'm kind of leaning down the route now when I've got my own spare time to kind of shoot more fine art portraits is what I really like. So less commercial portraits, just something with like a really painterly light. And I think hopefully, I d- actually, I don't want to take my best shot. Because what? How will I feel once I've then done what? it? Again, it's the go back to that. Yeah, I don't. Want, I don't even want to think about it. Don't think about it. Yeah, I like to think I, that I haven't, and I just yeah. want to carry on and take as many more pictures as I can. But then your best shot now may not. It may not be your best shot um, in twenty years. Your tastes, your style will develop. Mm. Uh, like you said, you yeah, I think might it will. look back gonna... on it and see the holes in it. Funnily enough, I do get that question a lot from people. Or the question would be, "What is the favorite photo you've ever taken?" Yeah. And there's always one photo that comes it comes to mind when they say that. And it was a shot that I took a few years ago when I was in Bristol of Colston Tower with an iPhone 4. Right. 
and it's kind of like looking up at it and in the corner of the frame you've got the traffic lights and they just happen to be the same color at that t- at that moment in time as the neon sign of the colston hall and it's just something really really lovely about the image again yeah. it kind of subconsciously might lead back to the album cover original original pirate material because yeah. of you know the whole city vibe of it all and the neons and stuff like that but for me now i still love it i think that's probably the only picture that i, that I took and no thought went into it really right. other than this looks cool Perhaps that's the magic of it, is that you didn't have time to overthink it and miss your moment. Yeah. There's a, there's a there's a big element of luck and sort of serendipity, I think, with photography. Because it is all about capturing that moment in time that will never, ever, ever, ever happen again. And sometimes you just get that thing that has the character. And the... Well, there are some photographers who dedicate their life to just waiting in one area for hoping something good to happen. And, you know, there's a, like I said, the photographer called Henry Cartier-Bresson, who's one of the greatest photographers of all time. And he was well known to find a composition in a street with some interesting shaped stairs to it and a shard of light coming through. And he'd just wait there for hours for that one person on the bike to go past. Right. Or, I don't know, someone with an umbrella. Yeah. There's a shot, there's a really famous shot of his. There's a guy um, jumping over a puddle holding an umbrella. Right. Over in Paris or somewhere. Yeah. But he waited ages for the shot. Have you seen that picture? Um, I think it's, is it Nick? Oh, what's that? The, uh, Nick Drake. Um, he's sort of leaning on the wall. And there's a guy rushing past, running. And he's oh, a, I don't know if I have. He's a blur. I can't remember if it's Neil Young or Nick Drake. It's an album cover. It's a really famous one. I'd have to have a look at that. It's a guy and he's like speeding to work. He's obviously late and he's just yeah. leant against this wall. Right. Really chilled, looking like a musician. Mm-hmm. And there's this sort of like, working class straight you know straight lace guy who's just like bombing it through the frame mm-hmm. sounds very much that sounds like a cool photo but it does bring up the, the debate though did that actually happen by chance or was that staged ah who knows yeah this is it these photographs these iconic photographs nobody really knows and if they were if you were to find out that it was staged would it change would it your opinion ch- on the photo right would you would you view it differently interesting mm-hmm. Uh, we've had this discussion before with iPhones and, and the and the technology in your pocket getting so much more advanced. As you said, your favorite shot ever was not on your £3,000 uh, camera. Uh, it was on your iPhone 4? Yep. iPhone 4? Yeah. Um, do you worry about... I mean, I've asked you this before, but this is a good discussion. Do you worry about uh, you know the iPhone killing off the photographer? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the technology in the iPhone just keeps getting better and better and better to the point where it's scary now. I've just upgraded to an iPhone 11. Yeah. And that's an old camera in the grand scheme of things, you know, with Apple releasing one every year. But the the, the picture quality on that is fantastic. It is really, really good. But when you look at the file on a big screen, you kind of do notice a few imperfections, whereas with a DSLR, it'd be different. But at the end of the day, you know, there's a famous saying, the best camera to have is the one that you have with you at the time. And I'm a great believer in that, hence right. me taking that shot of Colston Hall with my iPhone. Yeah. So I know it doesn't doesn't worry me because you still need to have a good eye for composition and lighting and putting them together and understanding different qualities of light and all that sort of stuff, you know. So I guess it's about uh, the the biggest element of it of it is that you respect and love the craft. Yeah. You've dedicated your time to it. You've almost got to kind of respect the craft in yeah. a weird way. But then again, I do know people, and myself included, have lost work because people are doing their own photos now with their phones, yeah. which is fine. You know, it's, you know, it was inevitably, inevitably going to happen as long as they're happy with the results. 
But yeah, it is scary how fast technology is moving along, especially in such small devices. There's me lugging around these really big, heavy cameras with really big, heavy lenses. And you see people just going around snap with their little phones. And you yeah. see it online, you think, that's a really good photo. And the quality is very, very good as well. Oh, yeah, taken with my Samsung Galaxy. Yeah. Like, what? The Galaxy cameras are insane. Yeah, I think they've got, uh, is it the ones with the Zeiss lenses or is that Huawei? I don't know. That's one of them is Zeiss. For me. Is, it, is it Huawei? one of them have got the Zeiss lens on it and then what's a Zeiss lens so Zeiss lens is like the Rolls Royce of lenses or lens manufacturers basically right so if you're going to buy a lens I think Zeiss are like the cine lenses so all these like the Dark Knight was probably shot using one and all these AAA Hollywood films are all Zeiss lenses so Dark Knight was shot on IMAX cameras yeah but probably but probably with Zeiss lenses oh right yeah yeah it's, yeah, it's the, the best lenses money can buy for all sorts of reasons. Is that something to do with the purity of their materials? or It's a long explanation, but right. there is a really good video on YouTube of a cinematographer talking to somebody like you and I are now talking yeah. about why cinema lenses are so expensive. And it sounds incredibly boring, right. but when he actually breaks it down and you realise why they, they're built the way they are and why they need to be built the way they are, it justifies the price completely. It's not one of those videos you watch and go, I still don't think that's worth it. You watch it and think, ah, that's why. So it's really interesting. It's a really interesting watch. I had that recently with, uh, I got into a bit of an audiophile rabbit hole. Right. Where I bought an, like a hi-fi system and separates and stuff. And then you think, oh, what if I upgrade this part? Apparently that makes it sound better. Oh, if I get a new power lead for it, apparently it looks better, sounds better. Oh, should I get a mains conditioner? Just get a new stereo, Andy. Well, that's what I did. And then I'm like, how do I squeeze the most, you know, this and that out of it? So I started looking into speaker cable and the lengths that people go to for the purest copper. It's a science. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And you can pay £200 for a a meter. But would you notice a little difference in audio quality? I don't know. No, I wouldn't know unless someone gave me one of these cables and we did a comparison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't know. At what point is the law of diminishing returns, isn't it? At what point yeah. do you start spending way more money and get and, and you're getting, a de- you know, every leap is a decrease in yeah. noticeable... I think it sounds great, so I, so I should leave it alone, but... I'm happy with my standard uh, Apple headphones. <laughs> yes! I've got those on my iPod my Megapod modded iPod. And I'm always like, wow. They are good. Wow, they're actually actually great. Yeah. Did we find out who make the Zeiss lenses? uh, Oh, is it Nokia? Yeah. I didn't know that. So it's Nokia. Good old Nokia. Nokia with seven cameras. Wow. I can see that. What? what? Oh. So eventually that camera could potentially be taking my job. What's next for photography then? What's the next leap? What are, the, what are the rumbles in the industry? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, drone photography is very popular at the moment because, you know, you can capture things that not everyone can see day to day. My dad loves a good drone. I've never flown one. I've always thought about having one, but obviously you need to have licenses and insurance yeah. and stuff like that because obviously there's things that happen like in Heathrow Airport where oh, you know, the, the world goes Pete Tong because of one little drone. Mm. So I think with great power... Comes great responsibility. responsibility yeah. I think that's the case with a drone. I might invest in one one day, but at the moment, I've got really no need for one. I do do a lot of work for private schools. Yeah. So um, they always want that sort of thing. But a lot of the time, they hire helicopters 
to fly people up to shoot aerial views of the school. Okay, that's expensive. Very, very expensive. Very, very expensive. So I, I could potentially save them some money if I invest in a drone. Right. But... Well, um, hit me up. Dad will take you to with him for a drone thing if you want. He'll I'm take sure. me to new heights. I, I think Dad's got a soft spot for you. He likes your photography. I think he's got a lot of respect for you. Oh, so nice one. Yeah, I'd I think, love to go out I think he'd actually really enjoy hanging out with you, actually. Yeah, cool. Um, Let's do it. Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, so you've got a studio. How did, is that the was When was that a dream? It's an obscure question, isn't it? Well, when I, did you dream that? I used to shoot clients in my living room, which was an absolute nightmare because yeah. I'd have to rearrange the house, which is knackering. We've done that a few times. Set up, which is knackering. <laughs> do the actual work, which is knackering. Then put it all away, which is knackering. And put my house back to how it was, which is knackering. So it was way too much work, really. So... It just wasn't convenient, so I thought, hang on a minute, let's, let's get me a proper space where I can just get, walk clients straight into to do the shoots, and it's just worked out so well. You've had uh, my boy Jeremy Wade in there, haven't you? Yeah, Jeremy Wade was, was great to photograph, one of the most interesting people that I've had the luxury of, of photographing, and it was amazing. I think we did more talking than shooting, just because he was so interesting, and I kept asking him so many questions about what he does. Yeah, it was great. And he's really, really good in front of the camera. He's got such a gnarly face as well. So I hit him with loads of hard light and made him look like a proper fisherman gangster type. You know, it yeah. was great. He looks quite hard in those pictures. Yeah, I want him to look hard. Hard without a H. Hard. He looks hard. We did do some smiley shots, but um, I don't think I released those. He chose them, which yeah. I think he's going to be sending off to Discovery and whoever to use for, wet, you know, loads of promotional stuff. But yeah, the shot that I released of him, I kind of wanted him to look kind of fairly stern. Yeah. More of like a... Well, he looks like a seasoned... Uh, well, he looks like he does what he does. River monsters. Hunting. Yeah, he, he's great. He's so... Things wading through the, the reeds, finding obscure fish. Yeah. He looks seasoned and... He's had one of the most amazing lives. Yeah. In, I deliberately didn't do a massive amount of research on him before I photographed him because I didn't want to kind of like lose my nerve and go, oh my God, he's so famous. I'm not, you know, I'm going to... He's so famous. He's huge, especially over in, over in America. But after I photographed him, I looked on YouTube and everyone was like, oh, he's a phony. He's making it all up for the camera because he's, he's quite well known for this plane crash that he survived. Mm. And um, when I touched base with him, chatting about it at the studio, the way he was relaying it, it wasn't f fake. It was all real. A lot of effort to fake that, isn't it? Yeah, it, but you know what people are like online. Yeah. But, you know, he's experienced lots in his life and... He's travelled all over the world and he's just such an interesting person to sit down and talk to. Um, uh, one other thing, Don McCullen. Yes. Incredible. Have you seen the documentary, McCullen? No, I haven't. Oh, Chris, I keep, you have to see it. I keep missing it because I know Mariella does a lot of stuff because they, I think they both live in the same village, don't they, Backham? Uh, they they live nearby, yeah. yeah. I've never met him. I don't, not to my knowledge. I'd love to meet him. Don McCullen. I'd love to shoot Don McCullen. Oh, actually. I thought you were friends with him. No, I've not met Don McCullen. Oh, no. I don't know how I got no. that idea of what you guys would no. like to I know Mariella. Right. I don't know Don McCullen. Is that his wife? No. Who's that? Mariella Frostrup. Who, what does she do? You know Mariella Frostrup? No, I don't know. Get your phone out, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Mariella Frostrup. What's she do? She does all sorts of stuff. She presents stuff. She does. Um, are you go are you Harry, are you googling this? The big challenge. Right, yeah, do you ever watch that? I'd I know her face. I'm not very. I'm not amazing. What, what, with what's names. her title? Journalist probably is the best way to describe right. them. No, you got a picture? Oh, her! Yeah, she has an incredible voice. She has got. I all love the, all her the voice. Men, all the men fancy her. Yeah. yeah, she's um, 
Yeah, she's cool. Yeah, she's great. She's in Freeman a lot. Is she? Yeah. No. In, interesting story about Marietta. The last right. time I saw her, I was photographing for Froome Town Council, the event Froome Busks. Yeah. And I was over by the pet shop and Mariella walked through the little gap in the in the wall and I stopped and had a chat with her because I photographed her previously at a few events and stuff. So I always say hello. And that morning before I met, met with Mariella, we had a briefing, rumours that Bob Geldof was in town. <laughs> and I was like, mm, yeah, whatever. You know, like, yeah. I, don't, I, I wouldn't have thought he is. Maybe it's someone who looks like him. I spoke to Mariella and said, oh yeah, uh, I've heard that Bob Geldof's in town. She's like, yeah, he is. He's with me. He stayed, he stayed at mine last night. I was like, no way, he's actually right. here. And about 10 minutes later, they were walking up and down Catherine Hill together. Right. And I remember uh, the winners, actually, Dan Fresher and I can't think what they're called now, um, Fresher in something. Oh, I should probably know the name of this. Uh, I wasn't, I don't think I was on the council they, at this point. They were doing like really cool covers, just right. two guitarists and kind of almost like a bit of beatboxing, a bit of rapping anyway. And they're, I don't know how old they are, like youngish, maybe like 20. Bob Geldof came up to them and put some money into their into their guitar case and walked away. And I said, "Do you know who that was?" I said, "No." <laughs> I said, that was Bob Geldof. <laughs> like, no <laughs> way. Massive thank you to Chris Bailey for joining me on this week's episode of the Giant Pod. Please don't forget to check out the links to his work in the description show notes. Also, subscribe, like this, leave a review. Don't forget, you can follow me on Instagram at Andy underscore S1S. This podcast was produced by the incredible Harry Williams, and I will see you next time. Thanks very much.